You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is a social entrepreneur and attorney who focuses on startup companies, nonprofit organizations, and arts and entertainment law issues. Creative Confidential starts now. Welcome back to Creative Confidential. It's been a little bit of time since we last spoke. Sorry about that, boys and girls. I'm Brian Tuck. Uh, We have a great episode coming up for you. Uh, This is the first time that any of our prior guests um, have returned to give us an update. Last April, uh, on one of the earlier episodes, it was episode 21, I spoke with writer and filmmaker Lee Ridnicki, who at the time had a short film that he had written and directed and edited uh, he had a short film that he was working on and that was almost ready uh, for release. He's been on, as you will hear, a, a pretty incredible journey in the last year. And Lee came back today to update us on how that project has evolved, how it's opened the doors for some other things uh, that are pretty exciting. And I think this gives you a terrific window into the world of film, uh, the world of film finance also, which as we all know, no projects happen unless there's a patron uh, of some kind to help make it happen. And uh, here it is, Lee Ridnicki returns. Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Sorry to interrupt you right off the bat twice. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Uh, Now, the last time we spoke was was a while back. It was in April of last year. And you had just completed a short film called Red Skies at Night. And that's kind of where our conversation left off. And I've been following you on, on social media and everywhere that that you, you publish news updates and you've been on, you know, the journey of a lifetime, I think is how I would describe it from a, you know, from afar, um, over the last, you know, year and a half. Um, where, where do we even start? Man, I think, (laughs) good question. I think, where we start of this journey, because literally my entire career and life turned upside down 500 times in a row in the last year and a half. And um, where we left off, um, I had just completed, as you know, so I'm an entertainment lawyer by trade and a producer. And I believe in our last podcast, which was a while ago, was pointed out, um, I told the story of how I ended up a director. Or, or down the journey, so I, I won't tell that story again. But long story short, a year ago, uh, a little a year and a half ago, we had completed the short film, and I had, you know, it was a total crazy ordeal. I had edited it myself, it got it done, and I was, you know, literally and figuratively, basically laying on the ground when it was done. It was, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. It was the most expensive endeavor. It was ridiculous. Um, all the things. It was a two-country project, Japan and the United States. Um, I was very proud of it, but exhausted. And so April, uh, we had just started submitting it to film festivals all over the world. And at the time, as a lawyer, um, I was 
can't reveal a whole lot, but I was in a not a great place because I was in the midst of a Hollywood battle where I was defending a client who <laughs> was just not a good situation. If you you know you hear a lot of horror stories in Hollywood, I was in the middle of one of them as counsel, fighting a knockdown, drag out fight, and literally, and it, that went until August. And August of last year, um, it's no exaggeration. Um, my film, we had sent the film out. It had gotten into no film festivals. It had basically just, no one got it. You know, what, what is this crazy thing? We don't understand it. And meanwhile, I was super unhappy with my legal career. And I was one step or two steps past the point of, I'm done. I mean, literally, you know, people go, you know, you're so great. You always, you never give up. No, I had given up. I was literally one path, one day past the point of saying, I'm done with Hollywood, I'm done with movies, I'm done with all of it, I'm going to do something else. And I was in the process of figuring out what comes next. I was in the process of walking away. And I mean, it had been a, you know, 14 or 10, whatever it is, your journey. And I had just been beaten up beyond the point of all, you know, rational reason to continue the journey. And then things changed and it was the craziest thing um, last year in August I just crashed my car I mean I was I was literally just my wife let me, let me just paint the picture there's a happy ending to this story but I have to paint this picture correctly um, things were so intense at my job with, with in entertainment law in Hollywood my wife my family was begging me to walk away that's how crazy it got with all of the you know all the great things in in life and everything. That's how intense it was as a lawyer at the time. So then one day, um, I get a phone call, and one of the films that I had been working on in Italy, uh, I was counsel in L.A. and the, you know the production is going on. It was just starting to really ramp up. Um, long story short, this is public knowledge. It basically fell apart. It was a disaster. Um, and the film was over and I got a call and you know uh, the people that were in charge of this project are some of the smartest most determined people I've ever met in my life at the top of the food chain and they called me and they said uh, we need your help can you come to Italy and help us get this film back on its feet and I said okay great when and they go tomorrow and I was teaching law school at the time. I had a million and one different things going on. Um, my movie was in the background. I had, it had, for all intents and purposes, it had failed. I was planning to release it on YouTube or whatever. I just, I was just beaten up. And then I got the call and gone to Italy. And it wasn't even a, I was at a point in my life, I think, you know, a year before that, I would have had to think about it. And I, I just said, all right, book the ticket, let's go. And I was supposed to go for 10 days, and I went there, and, you know, it was, if, you, if you're familiar with some of the drum corps stories, you know, Vanguard 93 or whatever, it was like that. We get there, and it's just game over. And, but there was a group, you know, around a table of super smart, super nice people who, you know, we went in, and I put on my Italian soccer shirt, went to the first meeting, and the first thing I said is, I want to have fun because I have not been having fun and I don't care how destroyed this project is, you know, we're going to have fun putting it together, 
you know, putting the wall back together. And that process started, and my 10 days extended to five months and in Italy. And I went back and forth a lot. And it, I mean, it was crazy. I left my position teaching, and I made some decisions that were difficult. But in life, you know, when a door opens, you either stand there and you decide what you're going to do, or you jump through the door, you go. And, you know, you've been waiting a long time, you take the, you take the risk. And my position evolved from counsel to producer. And it was, at first, it was really crazy. I mean, it was 24-7. We never stopped working. Never. Never, 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 never. And But we started to get this really, really close bond. And um, it, be, it started to become like I, I went there this stressed out, you know, screw the law, screw Hollywood, literally goodbye. And I came out of that experience this, you know, when I came back and my wife looked at me, you know, and she had visited. I mean, I had – I saw her a few times, but she had, I came back and she looked at me and, she, you know, after a week being back in LA and she said, you've changed. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you're happy again. And so that's, you know, if you want to talk about transformation in a year, and I can talk about that for two hours and I won't bore you much longer with it, but when I went to Italy, this process of, you know, I, I met these amazing people, we had this amazing team in this film that started out in just a, a, you know, heap of rubble, all of a sudden grew, and it became bigger and bigger and bigger, and we got Carrie Fisher on the cast, and we got Rita Ora, the singer from the UK, and all of a sudden we had this rock star cast, you know, out of nowhere, and all of a sudden this little film started to become this monolithic you know, film of our career, and it, it's called Wonderwell, and it's still in product. It's still in post production. We have a few more months to finish it, but when it comes out, you'll hear about it because it's going to be a pretty big deal. It's the biggest thing I've ever worked on in my career. What was the, what was the connection? So let's rewind a little bit. What sure. was the connection between you and your contact in Italy? How how did that relationship come to be? Well, I had only been to Italy once in 2012 with the TV pilot, so I didn't know a lot about it. But the production had decided, um, you know, the director of our film has uh, lives there part-time and, and lives in L.A. And, and you know, the, the production had the connection, and I had no connection. I didn't know anything barely about Italy. I'd been there five days total. So, but when I went there... The connection between me and that country, I can't even not, I can't even explain it. It became the the most strangest thing because I, I, it's like I met this group of people that thinks exactly like I do, and it became very, very close. So, as we're working on Wonderwell, we have a U.S. team, we have a, you know, uh, our cast is from U.K. and U.S. primarily, um, and Italian as well, and everything. We just started to put all the pieces together. And I started to work more and more with the Italians, and then I started going to soccer games, then I started learning Italian, and it just kind of morphed. And then three months into the project or so, you know, November, um, one of the top Italian producers, Roberto Bessi, um, we were having lunch, and he said to me, wow, you know, I, it looks like we saved, not only saved this film, it's, it's really becoming something unbelievable. And we're just kind of having a, you know, a great time in Rome or whatever. And he said, so what else are you working on? 
And I just said, well, you know, I have other stuff and whatever. And I, I have this sci-fi film, you know, I, I tried to direct. It looked like it failed. I really thought it, I thought we had it and, you know, but all this crazy things happened. And he said, can I see it? Can, can I just look at it? Sure. Whatever. So I was going back and forth. I came to LA. I brought back some materials. I said, here, take a look at it. So this top Italian producer takes my movie, you know, with the Blue Devils and all the stuff we have in it, Japanese and American, this crazy movie, and he takes it. And lo and behold, you know, we have lunch a week later, and I say, what do you think of, when do you think of the movie? And he says, it's terrible. And at the time, you know, look, I had, I could not be beating up any further. I didn't bother me. Yeah, great. You know, it, I, I, I was proud of the fact that I had actually accomplished the movie, but okay, you know, I have more to learn. I really was convinced it was going to be something great, but I mm-hmm. guess I was wrong. And, but then he said, but here's the thing. There's something there. There's really something there. And he said, can I show this to a few people? Can I, can we take a look at this, a little bit closer look? Can, can I see all your footage? So I showed him the footage. I got the script translated into Italian. I gave him the script. You know, I just said, here's, here's the vision. Here's what I was trying to do. So it was odd. He said, can I, can we just take a look? You know, I just wanted to poke around a little bit, a couple days. Okay. So, bada boom, bada bing, we go back to Wonderwell World, all this stuff, you know, and then he goes, hey, on Saturday, we'll all have the day off, come into the studio in Rome, I want to show you something, okay. So I go into this film studio, and there's six people gathered around this giant panel and a giant screen, and I'm thinking they're working on something else, because my little project is just, hey, one guy, you know, whatever. And I walk in, and it's Red Skies at Night, and they had edited the first chunk of it, just experimental, and it had it had become so the intro the beginning was so cool, kind of a little crowded gathered, and the editor his arms were going all over the air, he was jumping up and down, and I saw this just this crazy spark, and so they go can you know we had this big long conversation, and then it turns out hey we we love this, there's something here, and there. The crazy thing is there was Italian in it already because at the end of the movie, there's Ave Maria mm-hmm. sung in Italian. So, And there's pizza. There's all these weird Italian things in there. Anyway, so they made this connection, and they it was like these guys out of nowhere were falling in love with the movie. And I, uh, okay. So the editor takes it, and he stays up all night, and there's this crazy – I mean, they just go. And I go into the studio, and they say, sit down, and they play it again. And it is, this editor, it was so amazing because it was the same movie. There was same scenes, same movie, but he was such a genius at stretching out, you know, the emotion and stuff. I literally started crying in the studio. It was like, oh my God, we have a real movie. So, (coughs) excuse me, one thing led to another, and that couple days... All of a sudden, more and more people in Rome started jumping on the bandwagon and going, we have something here, and then we want to take it as far as we can. So we literally said, we will take this movie, the sound design, the visual, everything we can, as far as we can. Win, lose, draw, whatever, who cares? So 10 days in Italy became, it's a common theme, five months, and post-production, and these guys were obsessed. And I went back this summer 
And that's how the, the project finally came together. It became a U.S., Italian, Japanese project. And we got it done in Rome, and I went out there, and, and it was, I mean, we, we knew we had something special, but we weren't quite sure. So, okay, we'll have a little screening in Rome. So we get some kids. <clears throat> we have a little screening at the facility, and it's over. And the kids are going freaking nuts. And they're just like, it's just, it, it caught us by surprise that Italian kids, they're, they're the flower, 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 seven, flower, you know, and they're just going off. And that was kind of the spark where that's all of a sudden, and the project is now called Fleur, uh, which came from, which, which is kind of funny, you know, an Italian, American, Japanese movie with a French name, but that's what our Roberto wanted to call it, so I went with it. After, after what he did for me in the movie and how much we learned and did, we could have called it Ham Sandwich. I would have been cool with it. <laughs> Right. Okay. The, so that's kind of the tale of how we ended up with the movie. So this was all constructed with footage that you had previously, you know, you had shot during principal photography. Were, were there any reshoots or how or no? Absolutely no reshoots. Um, we redid all of the post production. The only thing we kept was. You know, the one thing they said to me, which I thought was great, because I was really happy with them. The music, I felt, was our strongest part, because I have, you know, basically my buddies from the Renegades. We have this great team and great film composers and all this stuff. And they said, you have to keep the music. Must. So we added some more music, but we kept the music team intact. So the music is all the same as it always was. Um, and the footage is the same. The only thing we did is... We licensed some exteriors. You know, we got some uh, photography to to help give context to where some of the scenes take place in Malibu. Mm -hmm. And um, we we brought in a visual effects artist. And so the film, for example, it used to be this little girl's walking along the cliff and she comes across this alien fighter pilot just laying there. And, you know, that's the beginning of the movie. But now you actually see the shoot down the UFO gets shot down and you hear the crash and it, it, you have a, it's a lot more context. The story makes a lot more sense now, which was, I think the very, very great storytelling tradition in Italy. I think that's what we needed to kind of infuse this with, especially from an editing standpoint. Now, this is a question I think for, for people who, who may be listening that are aspiring um, filmmakers I've received this question quite a few times from potential clients who may be halfway in or halfway out of, depending on how you look at things, into a deal with somebody. So in other words, you have a project, you are, you're dealing with, you know, other third parties who want to take a look at, at the project to evaluate it. And you begin walking down this road of, both sides starting to work towards the end product. At what point do you formalize the arrangement or, or, you know, is there, I mean, there must be a written agreement or a deal memorandum of some kind that gets, that gets signed when you're moving down the road, so to speak. Um, that's an art. 
not a science. It mm-hmm. really depends on who you're working with and what you need to get done. But I will say that I spend a lot of time dealing with situations where people wait until something is actually shot or recorded, if it's music, uh, and done and mastered and all that happy stuff. And then all of a sudden they start, you know, hey, let's put a thing in writing. And then one party runs away and gets a lawyer or nobody gets a lawyer and they try to draft their own intellectual property provisions. And it's just, you end up with a big fight later. So, you know, the sooner the better, Um, even if it is just, you know, if it's music, hey, who's going to control this when we're done? Is it going to be both of us? Are you going to control it? Who's going to, is this a 50-50? You know, just those kind of conversations because if you're going to be wildly off, you know, and the common situation is somebody pays for a recording, you know, and brings people in and they write something amazing and then they're done and then the person who pays for it thinks they own everything because they paid for it. Something like that. And American copyright law doesn't, really work like that mm-hmm. a lot of the rights are trans as you know you know a lot of the rights are transferred in writing and or they have to be and, and blah 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 so the sooner the better the, the only thing you want you don't want to do in any kind of business relationship is when you go to get a lawyer or you go to draft something or you suggest drafting something it shouldn't be tinged with suspicion or uh, mild threats or anything like that it shouldn't become scary because if, if all of a sudden your relationship gets scary because there's a contract, then you're not going about it the right way. The contract should define what you guys are going to do anyway. And, you know, if one person doesn't understand the business at all, like film, the, the net profits of a film are only what the contract says it is, you know. So a lot of people get wrapped up and not looking at the I don't know. But anyway, long story short, my long rambling answer, number 6F, the sooner the better. But you have to be careful. You can't turn it into adversarial you know, relationship because you'll kill what you're trying to do before it starts. Okay. Words to uh, words to live by. So, yeah. you know, we, we probably should have maybe done this a little bit earlier, but for those who, who, who have not gone yet gone back and listened to episode 21, which is your prior, <laughs> prior appearance, the, the story of Floor in broad strokes can you give us a, a quick synopsis? Yeah. So the genesis of the project. So I was a lawyer who learned how to screenwrite. And this is the fast forward version. Mm-hmm. And I acquired the skill set and I wrote a, a script and I tried to get a director to read the script to make my movie. And I spent a couple of years trying to do that and was unsuccessful. My World War II vampire script. So after a series of crazy events where three people in a row, uh, starting at the Cannes Film Festival, um, basically told me, you know, you are a director. That's why nobody's reading your script. You're the director. You, you have the vision. You have this. You have that. You need to direct your film. So that happened once. That happened twice. That happened three times. So then, okay, I'm a director. But my World War II script, no one in their right mind in anywhere on earth is going to give a first-time director $20 million to go make a World War II movie. I mean, it's just not, just, business doesn't work that way, right? Only in, only in the movie does it work like that. So then I said, all right, I'm going to create another project with that it could be shot at a lower budget. So um, I optioned a short story 
called The Song, which is about an alien that takes over a town by use of music. It's kind of mind control. And instead of the CD or whatever, the, the MP3 being the character, I changed that to an alien that gets shot down. And her voice is what controls it. So we have a feature film that was set in San Francisco, which is the story of the alien getting shot down and going into the city. And then she becomes in a band and this whole thing, you know, takes off. Um, and that story was actually moved to Italy. That's where we're going to shoot the feature because, you know, our whole team. But the genesis of Fleur, uh, basically, so we had this big project and then I got a call from Japan, and it was like, hey, Shizuka has an opening in her tour. We have four days. We can shoot something. And, you know, I got that call and shoot for four days. What are we going to shoot in four days? Uh, I don't know, a short film. What? I didn't even know what a short film was, literally. So, all right, here we go. Because, you know, you get a screenwriting degree. You don't learn short film. You learn film, like you go see in the movies, 90 minutes. So I had to learn what the short film was, what the genre is, how, how it works, and then create it really quickly. And I created the story. I wanted to – I represent a lot of reality TV from time to time. And I wanted – parts of reality TV are really awful, if you know a little bit about reality TV. So I had a few statements I wanted to make about that. <clears throat> so I told the story of Flower getting shot down off the coast of Malibu, and the little girl brings her home. But inside the home, it's the, a reality TV shoot is going on. So literally, Alien walks into the middle of a reality TV show, and I tell the story of what happens. And it's, you know, a lot of people, it, it's interesting. Um, I, ha I never had so many people tell me what I was trying to do was absolutely stupid in my life. I mean, for three years, people were just like, this will never work. This cannot work. This is ridiculous. And once we executed it, at a high level, um, the the skepticism, you know, we launched it just recently. You know, we had private screenings in Rome, then in Pennsylvania, then in L.A. twice. Um, the reaction has gone from, okay, that's horrible, crazy, to, oh, my God. And we're having executives come to our screenings. And, and I mean, it, this is becoming like a huge, in the last, I would say, six weeks, uh, it's really accelerated. The project. It's, it's incredible. And there's become a fashion design component to it now out of Milan and, and Rome. Um, we're going to be doing a like a feature film um, with, you know, Flower, with other aliens. There'll be fashion design, uh, fashion built around that, that is not only just in the movie. It's not, hey, let's go get fashion and put it in the movie, but we're going to launch a whole clothing line in the whole nine yards out of Italy. So it's uh, it's really turned into something kind of like I'm holding on for dear life. And it, it, like anything in the movies, it could fall apart, you know, at any time because that's how the industry is. But we're going so far. We're next on Saturday is our debut. It's a film festival debut in Marina del Rey. Mm -hmm. And um, our colleagues from Italy are coming in for that. And then after that, we're going in the two weeks of just uh, hardcore design mode, you know, for the feature. Just boom, figure out the budget, figure out the locations, figure out the script and everything. But the, 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 they're bringing over clothing samples. I mean, it's, it's everything. And uh, what, is your, what is your timeline for beginning work on the feature? Um, the timeline for beginning work on the feature 
it, if everything goes according to plan, we're shooting in the spring. And it's as a filmmaker, if you have anything, you know, if anybody listening has anything to do with film, you know how deadlines and timelines are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would never say a deadline or timeline on any film with any confidence whatsoever. But the fact that this is going, I've never had something go this fast, this crazy as it is right now. So it's, you know, it's it's as if all of a sudden three countries looked up and said, oh my God, the concept works. Wow. We didn't think it would, <laughs> you know, and now it does. So yeah, we're kind of in race mode right now. And I'm, I just want to keep the momentum and capture it. And hopefully we do, we get into some more festivals and we just got into one in Mississippi, uh, Rails to Reels, which is a small festival, but it's interesting because they called me on Saturday. We enter every festival because I don't care, small, big, whatever. I don't care where it is. We anybody that you know that will show our film in a theater because we're we're confident in the product. So it's really just get it in front of people and and the crowds will come. We're confident of that. It's not no hype needed really. So, but this festival called me. And from Mississippi, and they were just, you know, the the, the organizer, uh, the head of the festival was just, you know, we love the film, oh my God, and they they really love the message of it. And they, you know, they were like, we really want to promote your film, we're going to talk to the tourism board, and, you know, because it's this town, they have all these arts and everything. And it was just this really great, like, as a filmmaker, to hear that, you, you know, the message had this impact on this town, and I haven't been to Mississippi since 93. You know, and um, then we kind of said, all right, well, we're going to promote your little town, rock and roll. Let's go. You know, let, <laughs> let's. So we just kind of made this little bond with this little town in Tennessee or um, Mississippi that we're just going to hype and push and see what happens. And hopefully we'll get into some more festivals. You know, and, uh, this we'll see. going, I do things out of order. I apologize. Me too. All the time. So, <laughs> so now, so you, you had referred to, uh, Shizuka before and and of course you're referring to Shizuka Nishida the star of the of the film how did you how did you connect with her how did she come to be a part of the project um well first of all um 95% of everything I do is international there's some crazy combination of countries in any film project or anything I do and the one combination or, or um, country I've worked with for a long time is Japan. And my wife's Japanese, and I don't necessarily speak Japanese or I'm not the most adept sometimes at getting through the culture. But for whatever reason, I work with them quite well. I, I respect them a lot, and there are a lot of super talented people there. So I started rep- working with them as a producer in the beginning. That was my first movie, was a Japanese US film, and then I became a lawyer. And over the years, here and there, I've worked with some really, really big behind-the-scenes Japanese companies and acts, some of the biggest ones there are. And so we kind of had, they knew who I was, and we kind of got this sense of going. And then we came up with this project, and we were at a dinner party, and I told the casting director about the project, and she flipped open her phone, and she became a producer on this project as well, Yumi Takada. And she showed me, you know, she goes, hey, here's somebody, here's somebody, here's somebody. And we were looking at Japanese celebrities, you know, and and looking at all of the different singers and everything they have. And then we got an audition tape from Shizuka, who, um, you know, I hadn't heard of before. But she sang Ave Maria. And 
for her audition, which she had learned in Italian, which is, you know, this is three years before the Italy connection. So the whole thing's, you know, bizarre, Twilight Zone. And I saw her tape and 10 seconds into it, I was like, that's Flower. And I called my casting director. I go, no, we, we found Flower. Well, no, we have a whole list of people to audition. No, 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 we found her. And we got on Skype and I just said, that's her. And I just knew it. I mean, I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And everybody was asking me to, to audition other people and how can you be sure you haven't even met her in person? And I just knew it. And I said, that's it. So, you know, she became Flower and, you know, she came out here and she didn't speak English. And they were like, look, she doesn't speak English. I don't care. She's in my movie. That's it. We're doing it. So we had. So then, okay, we, how do you figure that out? Well, you make really good MP3s, and you hope the artist has a work ethic, which she did. I mean, she learned it inside and out um, just you know, by listening to the English. And when she came in, if you hear her voice in the movie, we didn't have to do replacement of her voice, amazingly. Um, she's a singer. So her ear was so good, you can't tell she doesn't speak English, which totally freaked out everybody who knows her. You know, it's like, wait a minute, hey, how did you do that? So, you know, that's kind of how we got her involved. And for the feature, um, we're looking at not having one, but because in the feature, enemy aliens come to kill Flower. It becomes kind of Terminator-esque, I guess. So there'll be uh, four, actually, aliens. And we're having some pretty, we're having some very interesting discussions over the last two weeks of who could fill those other spots. It's almost unbelievable. Because um, I think pe it's dawning on people the vehicle we've kind of created for musician. So we'll see. It's um, you couldn't make this up, you know. I mean, like you know, reality is stranger than fiction for sure, and and all the twists and turns that this has taken, you know, are just you know I hate to say it's unbelievable, but it's just. Um, it's it's just so impressive to me that at any point in this story, the whole thing could have, you know, the wheels could have come off of it and that would have been that. I mean, it's tough enough for local projects. When I say local, I mean, you know, everyone's in the same city or, um, or in the same region, at least in terms of uh, production team, the talent and the, and the writing team just to get something, small scale done and in front of people is a triumph, you know, let alone to, you know, involve, you know, a team from Italy elements from Japan. Um, I, I think if I remember correctly from our last conversation, you had said the initial financing round was Japanese or did I imagine that? No, the original financing round of this was Indiegogo. This started as a, so, okay, rewind, um, you know, okay, we're going to do this project. We're going to shoot a short film. Well, my family, a.k.a. wife, you're not spending our money to make a movie, right? I mean, that's rule one of movies. That's not our rule. That's, that's, a, that's a good rule for anybody, anybody producing anything you have. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, so we launched it on Indiegogo. And we figured out we needed about 50K to shoot. Um, we only raised 25K on Indiegogo. And then I had to find the rest. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, 
Um, I would well, two things I would say. One is there were three moments where this became not worth it, or or three moments where I questioned my sanity of trying to make a motion picture. Um, one was in the middle of the shoot when we lost our location on day two. We had a four-day shoot. Day two, we're kicked out of our location. So if you know anything about film, it takes about three or four weeks to get another location. And we had a star in from Japan. I mean, we were we were doomed. And at that moment, that was, I mean, I can't even, you can't imagine the stress because I thought I had just completely humiliated myself on an international scale. Um, the second day was when the movie got stolen. Yeah, I think you remember that story. There was a break-in in Chicago, and our, our hard drive with all the footage got stolen, and I got the call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't tell anybody because that basically meant that I, you know, we were done. So I, that's when I took the editing course and learned how to edit myself, which was a really painful, crazy experience. But when all the dust settled, you know, I created Red Skies, and we didn't get it. It's kind of funny because I tell the story – and I go, well, Red Skies failed, but I edited it, you know, and I had somebody come in and help polish it, but I had taken the film through post-production myself because, you know, it had been stolen, so I had to learn it and blah, 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 blah. So it was kind of like in my mind, like if you read how to, you know, fly an F-15 and you jumped in an F-15 and you flew it around the city and landed, and then somebody go, God, you flew that terribly you'd kind of laugh, right? You kind of go, yeah, but I just flew the F-15. So that's kind of how I <laughs> felt about that. Right. But that, and then, you know, when we sent it out and there was birds chirping and then nothing, and that was the third, you know, point where I just thought, God, this is such a, you really have to know where you're going and have the vision. I mean, I, that was the one thing that kept me going was I could always vis- visualize it working. From the first day to the last day, I knew it could work. I just, you know, I didn't have the expertise at the time to take it through post. I, I could shoot it, I could write it, I could do all that. But, you know, but then when we went to Italy, the, the great thing, the, you know, the, the concluding, you know, moral of the story is by going through all that brutality, that's what I call it, um, I didn't become a great editor because that takes years and years and years and years and years. But I became a director because I learned how to talk to an editor. And now I can talk to an editor and I know what's wrong with the scene or, or how to, you know, what they're thinking about and, and how to, the technology works. So the process, you know, at the end of the day, law school takes three years and what, a hundred some grand, depending on where you go or whatever and all this stuff. I mean, my experience in making this short film all said and done and all the travel I had to do and all the stuff, it was the same experience. It was just as hard. It was just like taking the bar, just as long. I went to law school in three countries. This took three countries. I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous, the, the parallels, but it's, it was equally as tough and expensive and crazy of an experience as law school for me. Now, here's a complete non sequitur. I think we're going to set a record for left, left turns, abrupt left turns in a conversation. I have um, a question. What does non sequitur mean? Unrelated to the prior content. Well, Although maybe that. Well, at least in my mind, that's what, that's what it means. But as a lawyer, I should probably know what that means. But okay, I probably non-sequitur. should know the proper definition of that. But <laughs> it 
your, you know, looking back a couple, you know, a few years and the body of work that you have already, you know, either put out or, or have in production, you know, this doesn't strike me as some, you know, this, this would seem to me, I would not be surprised if you told me, well, I've, you know, when I, since I was a, you know, a little kid, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to work in, in movies or I wanted to be in the movies perhaps on a personal level. What's, what's your relationship to filmmaking? When did it start for you? That's a great question. You know what? Whenever I meet filmmakers who tell me that they grew up and they've all, you know, and they can name all these directors and actors and they can, you know, it's in their blood. I really admire that. That's not me. Um, my family, we didn't have, you know, we didn't really have a lot of money and whatever, and we didn't go to the movies a lot. And so I grew up and I went to law school to become a music lawyer and had no desire or whatever to think about movies. And it wasn't until I came to LA and then I met this director who's Japanese and they said, Hey, would you produce my first movie? And my first reply is no. But then my wife was like, why are you here? What are you thinking? You know, you can figure this out. And so I went into the process, you know, by luck. But then as I went through the process, um, you know, I love films, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I love to go to movies now and whatever, but I just didn't grow up with that tradition. But all of a sudden I'm thrown into the process of making the movies. And then as it went, that's where my love of the process and the filmmaking tradition came on. And it's a later in life discovery, whatever, but it really became organic. Like I'm, I'm lawyer and I'm looking at the script and I'm like, huh, I write kind of like this. So then I go and I take the UCLA screenwriting program and I didn't take it to say, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to become a writer. I just wanted to learn. I'm like, oh, I'll figure this out too. And then I took that. And then the quest to become a director and I'll say the most arrogant freaking thing you'll ever hear anybody say, but after I, you know, I, I hope I've given you a sense of how hard and difficult the last, you know, it was to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we had a dinner meeting the other night and somebody said, you know, why don't, you know, the real movie is the story of what just happened. And I've been told this a lot, you know, of, of this crazy of making this short film. That's a, that's a movie in and of itself. And I, I go, you know what? I never want to relive that. It was that. <laughs> it, was that. it was that. It's like, you know, yeah. World War II, oh, wow, it's great. People ask somebody that was there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't need to relive that again. And But so now, after being beat down so much, um, I, I'm going to the fucking top of this game as a director, one way or another. And excuse my language on your podcast, but... That's my mindset. And it's not out of a quest for fame. I don't care. It's not out of a quest for riches. I don't need whatever to be happy. I'm not that guy walking around with the Rolex. You know, I just want to enjoy my life and get back to Italy and make another movie and everything. But in terms of, you know, I've had so many people tell me, you cannot do this. You should not do this. Your movie sucks. You're stupid. Get out. That for for no other reason but to punch back, I guess, so to speak, it's I'm on a director path now, and I have a significant portion of my day dedicated to that every day. 
you know, I'm spending an hour and a half learning Italian every day. Then I go into film mode, you know, and I have my lawyer time. And when I do lawyer time, I don't do anything else. That's it. I focus on the contract, nothing else. But when that door closes, when I finish my work for the day, I'm thinking about how I'm going to get ahead and compete in this game. So that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And I don't mean to sound arrogant. And I have five trillion things to learn. You know, I'm a nobody, you know, at the bottom rung, but I'm coming up because you can't take that many punches in life and not want to go to the top or I would have. Yeah. So that, (laughs) well, that's a, that's a trait that is common. I think to anyone who is an entrepreneur that, that accomplishes something, you know, whatever the something is, it might be a new product, new service might be a creative project, but having the ability to withstand 49 no's in a row to get to that one yes, you know, or, or, or to just keep continually overcoming obstacles to, to achieve the goal. Uh, you know, that's, that's really what, that's that characteristic that you can't teach in school. You can't, I, I really do. I, as I go further in life and see more clients that are trying to make something happen, you know, that's really at the end of the day, that's the trait they all have in common, Mm. you know, and I don't think it's something that can be learned. I think you either have it or you do not have it, you know, whether it's by environment upbringing or genetics or whatever. I think ultimately you have to do whatever it is. You have to be doing it for yourself because if you're want take directing, since is what we're talking about, you want to be a film director and if, if I meet somebody and all they're talking about is the money that directors make or how famous or whatever, you know, it's just you're in the wrong game. It's like you got to want it to do, you know, the storytelling, the craft, because that's got to be great. And you got to want to do it for yourself. Because if you don't want to do it for yourself, you won't last. Because it's so, you know, it's such a journey. And I think that goes with starting your own business and everything, a restaurant, whatever. It's like you really just got to say – no matter what the entire world thinks, I'm doing this. And if it fails, great. Let's put up a big fail sign. But I'm going to try hard. And you go. And not be afraid of failure. You know, Chris Knowles, it's funny. My, my buddy reminded me. He goes, you know, you used to say this all the time. Failure is not an option. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really say that anymore because I think it's pounded into my head. But that's kind of the mindset you have to have, I think. For sure. One last um we're coming up on the end of the hour and, and cool. you know, one last, one last question, I guess, is so much of the distribution landscape, at least with respect to, you know, TV has changed where Hulu and Netflix and crackle and, and all of these other outlets that are, that are, you know, web only um, are producing original content now. How do you think that will affect the motion pictures or, or will it, you know, what do you think the future of film is with respect to all of these new avenues for, for distribution? Is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? Well, I think theaters aren't going anywhere because the experience of going in a theater and seeing a movie is completely different than seeing it on TV with commercials or whatever. And the reason is, is because when you go to a motion picture, 
you know, the magical thing about a movie is that it takes you inside the movie. That's the experience people love. You know, it's like you're, there's no commercials, there's no distractions, you're in the theater, so your mind mentally, you're crying at the end because you're part of the battle or whatever is going on. So Netflix and Hulu and all these guys, they've, they've come onto the scene. Um, they have crazy amounts of money. So they have stepped on the gas with production like you wouldn't believe. Um, the great thing, I think, is the, the quality of their production is very high, right? Because they've realized that more and more internet outlets, right, doing the same movies, the way that you compete in the long term is through content, right? You have your brand that shows and that's how. So that's what they're really, really pushing. But I don't see them replacing anything i think commercial television is on its last legs thank god i i can't i literally cannot watch commercial television anymore it's just like a giant pharmaceutical whatever non-stop it just but i think you know for me at least sitting down to watch netflix or hulu and just diving into something with no commercials and you know that's to me that's a great experience but it's still not the theater so i don't know if i answered your question but i think Long story short, theaters aren't going anywhere. I think Netflix and Hulu are going to grow. I think you're going to see them go into the theaters at some point to, to kind of capture some of that market. I think one of them already did, had a film at Cannes. I think it was Netflix last year. And I think you'll see that continue. And the you're going to see more and more and more original content. I think that direction is not going to change. Well, Lee, it's been a pleasure uh, being able to reconnect and, and get caught up on all things floor. Um, now we will post to the, or, or we'll include a link to the film's website. Um, and when, how does one, how does one see the film? What are, what are the plans for, for that? Well, the easiest way to get uh, developments is floorfilm7.com. And that's floor like the French flower, F-L-E-U-R, floorfilm7.com. Um, but our big premiere is this Saturday at Marina Del Rey at 6 p.m. as part of the Marina Del Rey Film Festival. So you're going to see we're going to be pushing really hard the next couple days because I don't know how many people, you know, I haven't, it's kind of funny, I've been to huge festivals. I haven't been, this isn't a huge festival, it's kind of medium. Um, I don't know how many people come out to these, but we're going to try our very best because we're really excited to get this on the big screen again in LA, which is cool. So outstanding. Well, I can't, uh, I can't wait to learn what you have. Uh, <laughs> I can't learn. I can't wait to learn what's next for you. Cause it's, um, you know, you just seem to be, you know, just knocking it out of the park with, with whatever you set your mind to. So, um, Really, uh, again, really thankful for uh, for the time today. And everybody, go check out floorfilm7.com and uh, sign up for any uh, email newsletters or any way to, to stay in touch uh, with this project. I think it's going to turn, turn a lot of heads. Thank you so much for having me on this morning, and thank you for listening to me ramble and ramble and ramble. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. man. I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks very much. All right. Rock and roll. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud or Stitcher or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net.